1: This is Dan Nexon. Welcome to the first New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy podcast of 2013. This episode features one of my favorite contemporary fantasy writers, Felix Gilman. Felix is the author of Thunderer, Gears of the City, and The Half Made World. The sequel to The Half Made World, The Rise of Ransom City, was published in November 2012 and is the subject of our discussion. I hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Dan Nexon, and I'm speaking to Felix Gilman. Felix, are you there? I'm there. Hi. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this recording today. No problem. I'm I'm happy to be here. So I'm always curious about authors themselves, which is why I always begin by asking them to tell us a bit about themselves, and I'm going to ask you the same thing.
0: Um, Okay. Uh, I, I, I never quite know how to answer that question. Um,
1: Why don't I be a little bit more... I'll press you then. So let's start with how did you get into writing?
0: um, I I was one of those children who... who, um, I I was a a bookish child, um, which is not surprising. Um, uh, And I used to spend a lot of time as a child sort of writing stories of various kinds and... and, uh, you know, I, I, I would, if I, if I read something I liked, I, I, I would write great, long, unreadable pastiches of it, and I had notebooks of, of stuff that I, I wrote in, and I, I used to, um, the statute of limitations has expired, so I can say that when I was a, a very small child, I, I used to have a, a big pile of, of those nice little sort of notebook things that I knit from school. And uh, and wrote them, um, and I don't have any of that stuff anymore uh, because it was all thrown out. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I used to do that a lot as a child, and and um, then I I, uh, I suppose I, I stopped writing for, for a long time um, as a a young adult, um, but I I. I always thought of it as something that I, I I wanted to do, something that I would do. Um, you know, sooner or later I, I, I would buckle down and, and write a book. Uh, and I, I started various things, and, and some of which sort of worked out better than others, but, but none of which ever really got, got finished. Um, and I had, uh, back in 2006, uh, I, I had a, a period where I had um, uh, some time between jobs, and um, and I had a, a a job in the future in a few months that that was fixed, and and I, I had no job currently, and I had some savings, and uh, you know it, it, it was a time when I could not possibly have been in a better position to actually sit down and write something if I was ever going to write something and stop talking about it, uh, and, and no possible excuse for not actually battling down and, and doing it. Um, so I did, and I, and I, I wrote uh, in, in a few months the what turned into the first draft of my first book, Thunderer, um, though it went through many significant subsequent, subsequent iterations and, and revisions but that that was um, you yeah. that, that was when I sat down and actually wrote something and and I I did so just for a sort of um, yeah re- really with with the attitude that this was um, I would just see what happened I, I, I would sit down and, and see if I actually was capable of the uh, you know the 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 whatever it is that is required to sit down and start writing something um, that you know is still going to be there, uncompleted, 400 pages later, and and, and that you you have to to keep churning through for a very long time. Um, Which is something that's on my mind right now because I've just finished a a draft of a a thing and I've just handed that final draft to my editor, and I'm now sitting down thinking about starting the next thing, and I have an outline um but I'm now trying to push myself to 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 get back over the 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 resistance to actually sitting down and writing the first page with that awful knowledge that you've got all those hundreds of empty pages sitting in front of you um and it is every time an, an, an act of will. Um, so anyway, so, so that that was how I started. Um, I started writing, and, um, and and that first book ended up getting published, and then uh, the subsequent books uh, were also published.
1: Let's get into the um, meat of your books in a few minutes. But I am curious. You are a transatlantic transplant, is that correct?
0: That's correct. Um, I've I've lived in the States for a long time now, um, uh, since '98, I think. Um, so I, I mean, I've lived here for a very long time, um, and uh, and I moved here uh, well, um, a, a few year couple of years after, after graduating from university. Um, my my wife is a, a New Yorker, so I've lived in. Um, Well, I've lived in New York and Boston and D.C. and various places. So I know from
1: earlier pre-conversations that you are not a full-time writer, that you also hold down a day job. And I can't imagine how difficult that must be to, on the one hand, uh, work in a non-authorial professional context, but also then to produce uh, these very um, dense,
0: thoughtful books that you do. Um. Thank you. Um and, and yes, it is it is difficult. Um what's actually difficult um is, is not so much the writing because it uh, I, I I write quickly and I can find time to do the writing um because it it, it exercises a different part of the brain from real world day job work. Um what is tremendously difficult is uh, it, it, it's all the ancillary stuff. Um, you know, everybody says if, if you're a, a writer these days, you have to expect to promote your work yourself. Uh, and it is, of course, completely true. And that sort of... of you know, all, all, all those other little tasks that go along with it, but those little tasks use the same part of the brain as one's actual job.
1: So when you, you mean things like the, the kind of self-promotion that's become expected of authors, like maintaining a website,
0: possibly having a blog, being on Twitter... Yeah, well, I can do Twitter. I can do Twitter because that also uses a different part of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to maintain regular blog output is impossible. Um and trying to do things like uh, uh um any you may have noticed anybody can see that I have not updated my blog in six months and prior to that I think I let it sit for about a year um and uh and the website needs work um so yeah it's it's that sort of thing it's it's the um you know, uh, Talking to people about sort of trying to get the views and blurbs and things, which um, which is uh, which is difficult to do. Um, but I mean, it's, it's it's difficult to do for everybody. Um, I think day job or otherwise, it is difficult to do because most authors are by their nature uh, seven free shut shut-ins, and you know, <laughs> I mean. Writing a book selects very heavily for wanting to sit in the room not talking to anybody for six hours at a time. Um, you know, that's not necessarily the best skill. Working yourself, so.
1: Yeah, it's funny. The more people I talk to, the more I feel like there's a, a kind of kinship between the academic lifestyle and the uh, writing lifestyle, except for that we uh, get a steady salary for doing what we're doing. Um, so... I do want to ask you before we, as I've said, before we get into the meat of things, why fantastic fiction? Um, was that just sort of always your love of what you wanted to do? And so when you always thought about being a writer, it was always going to be fantastic fiction, or is there a particular draw for you of writing uh, in imaginary worlds or with major counterfactuals or things that that make your writing your worlds, your novels weird and different from, say, quote unquote literary fiction?
0: Um I, I'll, I'll, on one level the answer to that is just uh when I, I started writing the first book that was that was what came out. Um and uh, uh and, and, and that really wasn't on, on some level a very sort of experimental let's see what happens sort of a thing. Um and uh, uh I think I have sort of been playing catch up ever since. Um on on, on another level, I I I, I I I like fantastic or, or strange fiction. Um uh, I and, and I like a lot of fiction that sort of that, that blurs the lines between the literary and the fantastic um, uh, I'm, not, uh, a, I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a huge reader of squarely centrally poor genre fantastic fiction um, though you know, I, I like talking um,
1: What if- Flurring of the Line really does, I think, describe and animate, as I read it, a lot of your work. Your first series, as you mentioned, began with Thunderer, and that was a duology um, with Gears of the City as the second book. Is that correct? That is correct. And in Thunderer, um, it seems, well, I I was sort of thinking back as I was preparing for the interview, and it seems like there's a really strong connection in some respects between works like Thunderer and the work we're going to talk about today, The Rise of Ransom City insofar as these are all works that express a preference for shifting and uncertain worlds, where place is really a, a crucial character in the story. Um, is that a kind of idiom you like to play with? Um, it just sort of happen that way?
0: Um, no, that, that, that's definitely... Um, I, I like uncertainty, I like strangeness. I, I um, what, what, what I... I, I like the fantastic, in the sense of um, what 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 feels genuinely fantastic or strange, which, which has to have a, an element of of uncertainty, of surprise, of, of not being on top of it, of um, not quite knowing how it works or, or, or why. Otherwise, it it doesn't really feel the um, day. It doesn't feel magical or, or, or fantastic or, or weird. Um, so I, I i I like that um and I on some level I, I just think it's it's realistic um, my actual lived experience of the world is that it's full of things that I, I don't understand and that don't make sense to me and that I only have tiny partial glimpses of um, um and, and you know and I, I'm a well-informed person who reads the newspapers and, and yet I don't Actually, know what's going on most of the time, or I, I think I know what's going on, but I, but I don't. I, I absorb some piece of received wisdom that is is not actually accurate, um, and you know, it, 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 the experience of, of blundering through a a world filled with strange and unreasonable and, and arbitrary structures or, or, or apparent facts or or monsters is sort of, as I say, on, on some level, I think, realistic.
1: And that's a really terrific uh, description of a lot of the experience of reading the Half-Made World series. Now, as we've already kind of mentioned, The Rise of Ransom City is the second in that series. Uh, what do readers need to know about the Half-Made World in order to make sense of anything that we're going to talk about uh, for the rest of the interview?
0: Um, honestly, um I... I hope readers can pick up *Ransom City without having read The *Half Made World*, um, and I, I, I think that is true.
1: Oh, I—I uh, I, I wasn't. I'm sorry. That was what I, I thought. I wasn't queer. I was thinking of *Half Made World* as the as the as the series itself, not as the yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: it, it, they're they're both set in a um uh, a world that is a. It, it, it's sort of the frontier, and um, it's sort of mostly the the American frontier uh, of the nineteenth century, or, you know, early twentieth. It, it, it is. Um, it, it's not our world. It's it's not remotely um, our world. It's it's a a secondary world created out of um, tropes and factoids and, and themes and, and little bits of, of, of junk from um, our, our ideas about the frontier um, or the manifest destiny expansion of cetera, you know But but it, it's not um, again it, it, it's not our world. Um, and the uh, there's a a central conflict um, that is the... Uh, well, it's, it's, well, one of the, the central conflicts in the world is, is this sort of vast, ongoing um, war that is sometimes an, an ideological thing and, and sometimes a, a, a blowing things up thing um, between the, the line which is um, a supernatural reification of, of um, industrialization, uh, modernization authority, um, the, the, the consumption of, of resources, and, and the, the uh, stamping of, of, of authority on, on, on the wilderness, and, and, uh, and also takes the form of, of big monster demon trains. Uh, and and the gun is the the adversary of that and it's, it's, uh, a, a, it's a lawlessness, um the the myth of the the gunslinger. Um
1: so uh, you have you have the gun, which is the uh which as you say is the embodiment of the lawless of lawlessness of the myth of the gunslinger of the um anti-hero who challenges authority at every turn. Uh, and the gun works through agents who uh, literally have guns who are inhabited by these demons, right? Yeah. Uh, and and the line, as you said, is um, is the forces of modernization, rationalization, and they are they're, they're uh, re- their their emblematic their endematic thing is are the engines who are themselves also inhabited. Uh, by the demons who who control the line and they've been fighting a war across
0: this frontier for for how long? since long ago mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember My timeline at this point, Then, of course
1: none of the characters can remember either It's it's always been going on as far as they're
0: concerned. Yeah, um that that there, there, there is a, a timeline mm-hmm. um, and it's been going on for um, a couple hundred years, um, and somewhere in, in uh, across the books, I think there is there's enough information to indicate the actual timeline. Um, in sort of snippets of stuff that I I, uh, I can't remember, which I, I have a, a chronology somewhere that I try to work out to make it all more or less make consistent sense. Um, but. Uh, some things I, I like to make make consistent sense, and some things I don't. Um,
1: and one of the sources, of, or one of the things that's ambiguous throughout the books is that the characters routinely, in various ways, come back to the theme that, you know, did the demons come thus causing the war between the line and the gun, or the demons something that humans made themselves? Um, which obviously works to kind of, at, at this level of kind of fantastic ambiguity, but also seems to function as a metaphor for the ways in which social forces, which we create, have this um, have this character that that we lose control that individuals lose control over them uh, and become subject to them. And and I assume that was a deliberate move on
0: your part. Yeah, yeah, that that that's that's absolutely deliberate. Yes, um, mm. and we. Um, It is, as you say, ambiguous exactly how all of this got started, but but it's certainly clear that um, to to whatever extent people were involved at the start, these these things have become social facts that are just now out there, outside of anybody's control, um, and that you just have to deal with.
1: And One of the things that happens recurrently in various shapes and forms throughout the books are efforts by individuals, uh, on the frontier where this war is being worked out, to carve out separate space or neutral space or alternative space, which is not often not dominated by demons, but by sort of individual or collective self-determination of humanity. And one of the major examples of this that drives some of the narrative is the Red Valley Republic. So
0: I thought you might tell us a little bit about that. Right. right. That 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 is um, at the start of the... The first part, of my world. Um, the half-made world, the Red Valley Republic is—it's um, it, it, the previous generation's um, failed attempt to, uh, to to establish a um, a, 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 a democratic union of, of sorts, or or at least a, a sort of a, a mercantile union. Um, but it, it, it was it was the it it was our characters the the the, the preceding generation for for the, the people of the half made world there it was their grand old cause their, their their great um failed uh something uh and, and it um briefly it, it, it originates in a Mercantile core between a bunch of uh, small states. The, the, this is a, a, a fragmented frontier in which there are all sorts of different kinds of, of political, um, political groupings and, and, and little states and, and little quasi-feudal states alongside other stuff. And, and this this is an attempt was an attempt to to, to carve out some sort of, of, of union there. And then it, 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 it falls apart, and, and um, how it fell apart, and, and what their um, secret weapon might have been is is um, part of the, the MacGuffin that that gets the plot of the first book going. Um, but but they are um, sort of constructed out of of elements of, of um, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. Um, and, Bit bits of the the myths of both and, and feelings about both are, are, are attached to are attached to them. Um, One of thing... the I'm sorry, go on. But, okay, but, but, but yes, they they have a um, a uh, a set of, of um, that they're, they're very concerned with with. Modern democratic principles and, and principles of, of, of republican virtue, um, and, and how one can construct a, a functioning virtuous state, um, a virtuous republican state, uh, and uh, a republican not in the, in the sense, but you know, in the,
1: the political the, theoretic the, sense of the, Machiavelli and all yeah. of that crowd,
0: yeah, yeah, um. Uh, and uh and so they have uh um, well they 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 were defeated and, and, and scattered twenty five years before anything starts in, in the book but the remnants um of that on the frontier and um they've gone a bit weird in their their generation in the wilderness but uh... well,
1: we we you give us a strong sense that that on the one hand you know they have these principles that that are Kind of frontier republicanism individualism uh d- small d democracy but they are they're kind of blowhards about
0: it too <laughs> yeah absolutely um and and i think one thing that you know we we only see directly the uh what's left 25 years after they, they were beaten so um i i think it's it's an open question that you know, I th- th- that I don't know the answer to um, what it was like in its heyday. Mm. Um, but but yeah, well certainly what, what we see 25 years later is is um, is blowhards um, or or people who who have um, who have started to to adopt um, to adopt their their parents' generation's tradition as as. Holy um, and it, it started to make them get a little
1: bit weird. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that's wonderfully disorienting about the Red Valley Republic, and thematically this extends throughout the entire way in which you cobbled the world from the flotsam and jetsam of our own, uh, is the way in which the Red Valley Republic you know, gives you the myth of the lost cause, it gives you that key element in the traditional Western of these soldiers who fought for an ideal who are now stranded out on, a, on the West. On the other hand, that ideal, despite the kind of blowhardiness that we have talked about, you know, has more elements of the American Revolution. Right? This is—they this, are an anti-slavery uh, grouping. They aren't—they aren't the—you um, know—they aren't, the, you know, they aren't a, a perfect mirror of the Confederacy. And, and that whole kind of way in which you you take the elements of the traditional Western but mix them up in novel configurations, and just enough so we can say, "Aha." these are the key mythological elements of the Western genre but they're not the way we expected I thought that was really powerful and really cool
0: thank you um, I mean yes that that that's th- throughout the books um, that I'm, I'm constantly trying to as you say take um, bolt bits of this stuff together in, in odd and surprising ways that the, it's uh, a little bit unclear how you're supposed to feel about parts of this. Um, and re- reflect, you know, uh, in the Half-Made World, and, and particularly in, in Ransom so you, you've got characters who, who are centrally concerned with, with fashion and identities for themselves by picking up little bits of, of mythic flotsam and jetsam. Um, and uh, you know, everyone is engaged in that same pursuit of, of trying to, to make sense of this rather confusing world that they're in by picking up scraps of stuff that they sort of recognize and, and fashioning into a, an idea of the world.
1: So, so just to keep score, we have the line who is fighting the gun, we have the remnants of the Red Valley Republic, and their remnants are almost more important as myth and cause than as any discrete individuals, but you also have this group of people floating around, the first folk, um, who, you know, are sort of, on the one hand, kind of like the stand-in for Native Americans or Aboriginals. On the other hand, they're really not. Uh, they're very strange. Can you tell us a little bit about
0: them? Sure. Um, so so they, they are the, uh, the first, the, 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 the people who are that first. Um, and you, you can't have a frontier story without the people who were there first, um, or you can have a frontier story, but it's not a not one that really reflects our world at all. Um, they are in no respect um, very similar to actually existing Native Americans of any kind, and maybe a tiny little bit uh, reminiscent of, of Australian Aboriginal cultures, but only the tiniest little bit known by accident. Um, they, they, they are uh, they, they, they are the, the first people, the, 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 the displaced people, um, but they they don't correspond to any actual existing displaced culture Um, which was uh, we we, one of the reasons for that is is that we don't see them uh, themselves through through their own eyes very much at all Um, we see them through the eyes of the uh, the other characters who are all uh, one way or another the the, uh, part of the, the the expanding um, whatever you would call it, culture. Um, and the world was escaping me, um, because colonial is not enough. Right
1: well, I mean, they are engaged in colonialism. I mean, this is one of the things that people that we kind of mask about the American expansion is that it's a colonial process of plopping down little cities or little towns or little economic communities, and then Slowly, or sometimes more rapidly, displacing, killing, corralling, controlling the indigenous population. So I think it's fine to say that this is a colonial enterprise.
0: Yeah, you're you you're, you're right. I was I was I was thinking there was some nuance in the word colonial that was not quite right, um, but I can't actually articulate what I feel that nuance is. Well, so I'm probably imagining it.
1: Well, maybe I mean one thing to note about the Western migration, or no, it's not even Western. I'm not sure the the migration into the half made world uh, is that it's not centrally directed. This is not a state enterprise, as, at least as you present it. So maybe that's it.
0: Um, yes, that 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 that's part of it. Though, did none of this make no, none of this made it into the final books? Um, <laughs> Okay, never mind. um, I I had some stuff that I I was trying to use somewhere, um, and if there's ever a third book, I I, I probably will, about the initial Hmm. um, expansion um, in which it it, it is indeed Mm state-directed, and uh, and the ways in which it is state-directed. And I think Probably none of that made it anywhere into the final book, um, so you know that's not helpful. Um, but, uh, but that 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 was that was how I was thinking about it. Um. So we do have so
1: we have the first folk who are are kind of this literalization of all the different kinds of Western imaginary of Indigenous peoples. Uh, but then we have some actual characters who matter a great deal, and in the first book, uh, they are Liv, uh, whose last name I had written down, but I can't find. Alth. What is Liv's uh, last name? Uh, Alva Heisen. Alva who is a psychologist who's come from the old world, and then John Creedmar, who is a, a really wonderful character, a, an agent of the gun,
0: uh, uh, who who is. Um who is in fact also from the old world but but hmm. long, longer ago. Um because of course he's very old. He's, he's old. Um or well, you know he's he's in his fifties I think which mm-hmm. is, is old for a professional gunman. Um so he's um he 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 is a as you say an agent of the gun. He is a uh, would be retired at the beginning. Um a a a gunslinger type, a a a, a, a fast-talking gunslinger, um, and uh, somebody who who has spent his life um, and spent his youth trying on various glamorous causes of, of various kinds, and, and ends up fashioning himself into a. Uh, an iconic, uh, fast talking, gun wielding, wild west crook type. Um, but also he, he, because he's, he's he's part of this, this, this cause of, of, of the gun, he, he gets called into into service. Um, and then he and Liv cross paths, um, not very happily. Um, and uh, get caught up together in, in this uh, this business of getting I mean, something. Um, this involves uh, a, a a general who is the um, the, the military genius, the the, the the George Washington of the uh, of the Republic, and who is now very very old, um, and uh, also mad or damaged.
1: So they are the chief characters of the first book, but the second book actually focuses on Harry Ransom, um, a very different character. Um why don't you tell us a little bit about him?
0: Right. So so Harry Ransom is um a uh he he's he's a salesman, he's a, a businessman, he's a a, a would-be rags to riches story. Um he's a uh a kid from a, a crappy little town who has um, maybe possibly invented a wonderful uh, free energy machine. Uh, and he's when the book starts, he, he's touring around the small towns of the frontier, trying to, to drum up investment and, and interest and enthusiasm for, for his, uh, his wonderful... Wonderful invention, and um, he's, he's, he's a he's a kid, and this is where he's going to, to really start his his brilliant glittering fortune. Um, he's uh, on, on, on the one hand, um, he, he he wants to be a hero. He wants to be a, a great and wonderful person who will bring this fantastic gift to the world because he's, he's a wonderful genius he's, he's an idealist and an utopian on the other hand he, he wants to get rich he wants to be powerful he wants to he's, he's got a head full of um business propaganda um, you know, uh, stories about uh, rich men making their fortunes in in, in the big cities um and so he's he's out there um getting into adventures and trouble, um and blowing things up. And um and he he this is not really a spoiler since it happens in the first fifteen pages or so but he, he crosses paths with uh, with Logan Creedmoor. Um And we see what's happened to them since the events of the first book, and uh, who's chasing them and and what's happening. And and because of that, he he ends up being caught up in in politics. Um, And that sends his his ambitions off kilter, and and, uh, and he he gets caught up in in the the great events of the war and um, ends up. I well,
1: so one of the wonderful it? things about this i should mention is that you know, so he's as you say driven by this kind of horatio alger memoirs or you know memoir literature he's read it and vibed and taken way too seriously mm-hmm. on the other hand what we're reading is his memoir of a kind of um rags to riches and back to rags kind of storyline so there's this this great as i think runs the novel on so many levels this great inter-player
0: layering of themes but I think for uh, uh, he's many, trying to tell something too I, he um, uh, I say, so, so it's told in the form of a memoir but it's, it's not just a memoir he is um, again, he says this in the first few pages um, so it's is not a spoiler he, after everything that's happened to him and everything that he's, he's trying to solve the story up and, and to, sort of, to, to, to tell the, the great events of history that he's been involved in in, in, in his way um, he is heading out west, and he's gathered a bunch of people with him, and he's, he's trying to gather more, and he's sending off these dispatches as he goes, and then he wants to to found a utopian something or other um, out there. And so he is, um, he, he, even as he goes and as he's trying to to tell the story and to set up straight and and to and, and he he is as I. Uh, different readers have had different views on how untrustworthy he is Um, and I think that it is open to debate how untrustworthy he's supposed to be but but, um, for what the view of the author is worth, my my view is that he's he's genuinely trying to be reasonably honest about what's going on Uh, and, and he is reasonably trustworthy um, but he's also trying to sell um, his vision of, of the future uh, and so it is a and as you say he's he's, he's um his, his his memoir and the way he's trying to sell things um, is is a, is a mirror of the um, the memoir that he grew up reading which is um, a form of well, it, it, it turns out to be not just metaphorically a form of of propaganda, but actually literally a form of propaganda. um, But I I won't say any more about about that.
1: So one of the things that um, I think... So those of us who read very avidly The Half-Made World and waited for the rise of Ransom City uh, may find it disturbing uh, to have... um, wanted to know so much more from the perspective of Liv and from Creedmoor only to have a massive change in a narrative perspective. You know, although we do find out essential information about them, uh, it was a shock, and I'm wondering why you decided to tell somebody else's story.
0: Um So, so one answer to that is um, I didn't want to write a, a middle book of a trilogy um, and, uh, and I, I sat down and, and tried to do uh, the story of Liv and Creed more following on from what happened in the first book and my heart was not in it uh, and I I don't think it would have been uh, an interesting book. Um, there, there's uh, you know, the, 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 the book that sort of just picks up and moves them on. It it it, it wasn't working, um, uh, and part of that is because uh, as I say, I I I like. Um I, I find it most interesting when the, the characters are not one hundred percent on top of, of what's going on. Um and and if you've got a, a great big world saving war ending plot, um which you know which there is um the, the live and cream become caught up in the half-mode world and then is sort of is is, is moving forward um, in the background and, and sort of threaded through the action of, of the second book. Um, to write a, a direct sequel um, would have put all the focus on the uh, the core of what's happening so that uh, we see it directly and we don't have any question about it and we know that um, we are ambiguously unambiguously um, at the center of what's actually going on in the world and um and in charge of it and i cannot that doesn't interest me um so what 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 happens in the second book is uh the the you know since since we see it through, through harry ransom's perspective we we are not um we are not directly at the centre of, um, of those events, the, the, those things, the, the, there's a, um, you know, I, I wanted to, sh- to shift things to a, a more personal story, um, which you know, gets involved in the, 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 the grand stuff of, of the war and politics and glory, but is, is ultimately more about um, one individual's rise, rise and fall um with with the grand stuff in the background um happening but we are not um we we don't have that, that, that illusion of uh, being in control. Um that's a, a somewhat rambling answer, but I, I think that's that, that was why the shift in perspective. Um and having shifted to Harry Ransom's perspective, um, which, as I say, was, was sort of a—it it was an iterative process. Um, I started with—I uh, started with a draft um, that was much more following directly on um, with uh, Ransom introduced as a minor character, and over the course of, of revisions. Um, some stuff moved into the background and some stuff moved into the foreground. And um, once I hit a tipping point and Ransom moved sufficiently into the foreground, um, it made sense to, to write in his voice. Um, so it's in, it's in this first person memoir voice. Um, I hate it when authors talk about characters taking control um that that does not happen but it but it does happen that when you go through a bunch of of, of revisions you find that something's worth and something's done
1: it's interesting to hear you say that because as i mentioned you know my initial response was uh but Uh, um you know literally uh but uh uh, yeah as Uh, i got more into it i really felt you know very strongly that that at the end of the day, this was the way to tell the story and that it wouldn't have worked any other way, and uh, what you say dovetails nicely with my sense of that because I, on the one hand, you know, if you followed Liv and Creed more, they, ne- they couldn't pass into the kind of legendary status that's so essential to the entire workings of the novel, right? The way, uh, what you talk about is the kind of uncertainty, the way in which sort of knowledge... Appears and slips away, and that uh, collective memory and, the, and even forgetting plays such a key role in the way that this world works, and as you suggest, the way that our world works. But secondly, because it really subverts um, the standards of kind of the high fantasy uh, quest, right, or journey that, um, in many ways, you know, the whole books are riffing on, but in a Western setting. So, you know, to show us that there are other journeys going on, some of which, like Harry's, might be incredibly important to what happens in the world, even though they have a very limited perspective on it, many of which are probably, you know, not consequential to the workings of history, but are just as important, at least for the individual experience. them. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was really neat. And I thought that it was one way in which the book, you know, is more than just a Western with fantastic elements or a fantasy set on a Western frontier.
0: Yeah, no, that, 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 that is also part of, of, of why I wanted to shift the perspective. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, and on, on, on some level had it, had it, had it stuck directly with, uh, with live and crude more. Um, the, uh, the structure of a a straightforward quest fantasy took over. I mean, you know, in 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 the version that I, I was thinking of, where, where it was then, it becomes a straightforward quest fantasy with, with a tiny little bit of western trapping. Um, because there's and there's really only one way to tell that story, and um, you know Tolkien did it. well. I I, I, I I liked the 2000 Return of the King. I, I really enjoyed them, and nobody needs to do it again. Um, and I can't do it better. So, um, so, so this was uh, you know, this was different, and, and as I said, this was how it worked. I I, um, I, I I beg readers' indulgence for the change of perspective, you know, and I'm optimistic that people will be okay with it.
1: Uh, I mean, this this novel has been called, uh, or at least the first novel, a steampunk fantasy. Uh, And I know in some of our pre-conversations, we we mauled that over a bit um, and talked a little bit about about steampunk. Um, uh, I'm not sure how much I want to push you on that, but I do want to ask you about something that's been kind of gnawing at me, and I can't quite articulate it, which is that... It seems to me that there's something both, there's something really interesting about creating a fantasy out of the elements of the Western imaginary rather than, and I don't mean West versus East, but you know, the wild Western imaginary versus the standard high fantasy setting of swords and sorcery. And I know that not only are there precursors to doing this, um, but also there are more people who are now choosing to set, situate. Fantasy writing in the the, the imaginary nineteenth century, um, and the American imaginary nineteenth century of the West. But unlike, I think, a lot of quote unquote steampunk fantasy, this is not a tech, You know, this is not a technology driven story. Well, uh, that's an awful way of putting it. This is a story which fundamentally owes its um, sensibility to fantastic literature. Understood in the kind of high fantasy idiom, right? the enchanted world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I can't quite articulate it, but the, it must be kind I mean, it must be sort of both challenging and liberating and also really um, say something about what fantasy is to to create this kind of a, a locale, this kind of a story. And I was wondering whether you've had any thoughts about what it means or what it does to fantasy. To, to locate it in this kind of a setting
0: and one thing that um, that I, I I think it can do that I, I hope it can do is is to um, to, to shift the focus of, of the, the fantasy from the idea of a uh, the lost world the, the, the medieval world and decline to um, to thinking about um, a world that that sees itself as on the cusp of the future, um, build, building future, the rubbish progress towards whatever, um, uh, and and uh, to uh, and, and I think that's interesting to write about. I, I, I like that that sense of um, anything is possible. These are, there are all these roads that the future could could go down. Um, and, uh, uh, and I think it, it helps us um, I, I, I don't I don't make any any grand political claims for fantastic fiction generally and it, it sort of grates on me a little bit when, when people talk about these things as, as though the justification for, for fiction has to be Coming up with a, a rather improbable way in which it has some sort of political impact because it doesn't and nobody reads books anyway uh, You know uh, the, the The potential political impact that, that you might have through, through your, your story is essentially zero because
1: I gotta interrupt you. It's here. a weird
0: niche, niche habit. But,
1: I, I disagree um, I, I think that um, if I think about most of my political beliefs I think they were profoundly shaped by the novels some of which were fantasy uh, that I read uh, in my my teens, for example. So I'm not sure that's right. The impact may not be, you know, a political manifesto that uh, you know drives a movement. But I do think that that the that fantastic literature shapes the imaginary of many people in ways that has political ramifications for much of their life. But
0: uh, I, I that that may be true. Um, I don't know. Um, but that aside, what,
1: I, I'm sorry because I now that, interrupted your train it, of thought. It's, it's an
0: interesting. I mean, it's an interesting question. I, 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 was, I was pausing to think about where yeah, my own. I, I don't think my political views are that heavily shaped by uh, by fiction. I, I, I genuinely don't. I think my political views are, are much more shaped by uh, either non-fiction reading or, or primarily by the sort of people who I, I know and talk to and my sense of where tribally I fall in, in existing political groups. But that is, a, is an aside. Because um, I'm, I'm looking around the stuff that I learned as a teenager and, and you know, I... I I like you know, the token Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and I don't feel that would me politically. Um, I mentioned C.S. Lewis because I've a of C.S. Lewis books here. Um, but anyway.
1: Well, um, quite politically different, I think, than your own views. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I love C.S. Lewis, and, and I, I've got a pile of books here because the, the thing that I've just handed in is, is in some ways a an homage to the, the C.S. Lewis um, out of the silent planet, etc., books, which I, which I love. Yeah, don't that.
1: Well, but I'm thinking about so. I mean, I for, I, I found the Proudhon chronicles uh, very uh, influential in terms of my basic moral compass, and particularly and Wanderer*. Uh, and I do think that for, peop- for a lot of a lo- some subset of people will probably never read about the Industrial Revolution, right, or never read uh, any of the political literature that focused on the. What to make of the social dislocations of the the coming of modernity? Whether that be Marx or, um, in a kind of earlier form, Smith or um, uh, 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 or Karl Polanyi, you know, this is their entry into a kind of um, set of political claims about what rationalization, industrialization. my, the production of, of new class relations, the ways in which people become serviced to uh, economic systems and to industry itself. This is a, a kind, you know, the books like this are a kind of entry into thinking about that or thinking about, you know, what does it mean to romanticize the lone gunman? Is that really a kind of romanticization that's sustainable or healthy? Uh, and these books really do grapple
0: with those kinds of questions. Um, it, 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 it's not impossible that but... A, a young person um, might have that, 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 that these books or, or, or any books might influence somebody's political thinking. I just, uh, if that happens, I think it happens in, in unpredictable ways, um, and you never know what people are going to take away. Uh, I often get the sense. Um, A lot of the the political conversation around um, steampunk and uh, what what steampunk politically has to say... This this is uh, probably a more complicated digression. we possibly have time for. Well, if Um, we do have time, it's
1: it's not really a digression, I think, so uh, (laughs) I'd
0: like you to uh, pursue it. uh, uh, Yeah, but part of my skepticism is I think um, there's there's a lot of of, uh, the sort of fiction that that talks about the 19th century and and that gets heavily into um, how awful factories in the 19th century were, and, and the awfulness of class relations in the 19th century, and, and the terribleness of, of colonialism. Um, I, I never know whether readers come away from that sort of thing, or whether people who are talking about this come away from that sort of thing, with a, a sense of, of having been, on some level, sort of radicalised, thinking, oh, you know, the, 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 these are bad things, or whether the, the lesson that people come away with is, um, well, things sure were about a hundred years ago. Our great grandfathers sucked. Um, I'm, I'm glad we're better people now and everything's fine. Um, and you know, and then they they go away and they they type that on their computers that are made out of, of conflict materials. Um, and and you know, I, uh, to, to to the extent, uh, and and that is something that I, I that that is something that I, I I worry about when when writing anything that that is sort of set in the 19th century. You know, when I express skepticism about the political impact of the um, fiction, um, I'm sort of taking the piss out of myself because I. I, I, I one, one sits there worrying about this sort of thing, but on some level, its it seems tremendously narcissistic to sit there at one's desk as one makes up these stories worrying about what you are teaching an imaginary. Fifteen-year-old, um, you know, I, I I, um, I, I, I think we have, I mean, we in in the in the community, so to speak, um, I, I think there's often a, an inflated sense of um, the power of of this sort of writing. Um, and I, I I I'm 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 sceptical, but um, on the other hand stuff isn't worth thinking about. Um, but as I say I I, I I do think it's it's unpredictable. In, in the event that you have any kind of influence it's very unpredictable what kind of influence one has and readers read things against the grain and come away with, with different senses of um, you know, what you're trying to say, um, unless you're terribly literal about what you're saying, in which case readers are just as likely to, to say, you know, go away. So, I don't know.
1: But what, um, But so, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, what you are saying is a case against didacticism, right? But it's not, I think, a case against... Um, thinking about the politics of a particular constructed world, or thinking about um, the possible political implications of telling a story, and, and to me, I, I just don't think you can get away with it, right? Because you've written novels and this series, you know, as well as your prior one, but this series, you know, is a novel that sets out to dislocate. You know very fundamental themes in uh, not just American identity but the identity of the modern West and it does so in a way which maintains uh, constant ambivalence which to me is sort of what I wanted to, to kind of push you for and you 've already alluded to you know which I think sets it apart from a lot of the the attempts to work with the politics of the nineteenth century in a number of the La- you know, very large number of books that are now tackling or setting things in the 19th century.
0: Oh, no, no, I, I agree, and, and I think you, you've got to, no, I mean, if, if you're writing anything that, that, that touches on anything political and, and, and essentially anything that you might be writing does, um, it's important to making the book work, and, and that's important even if nobody's ever going to see it. Otherwise, we might as well not bother. Um, yeah, we, we I think we, we got off on, on on this discussion about whether this it, it it is realistic to think in terms of this actually impacting people, which I'm I'm not sure whether it does. Um but I do think it's important to to think about it because that that's the book that you're writing. So, I'm skeptical. I am I'm, I'm surprised when anybody uses anything at all. So.
1: well, I mean, regardless of the, the question of impact though, there is this sort of question we started out with, which is you know, what does it mean to set fantasy not in the Ancien Regime, uh, but in the period of the emergence of modernity? Um, And what does it mean to um, explicitly, you know, turn social facts uh, into uh, magical, demonic forces? Uh, And what does it mean to try to transport a set of genre expectations about what fantasy is into a realm that you know isn't the foundational realm for those tropes, um, and I, I think that these books just are wonderful at, at working through that those kinds of, of themes. Even if at the end of the day, and maybe it's all for the best, you know, it kind of leaves uh, an engaged reader thinking, "I'm not quite sure what to make of this."
0: <laughs> right. Um- not very much fan. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about fantasy, um, uh, and and I, I I don't want to single anyone out, but, but I mean, uh, most fantasy that is, is nominally set in the middle ages is in fact really set in the 19th century anyway, so.
1: Um, well, that's really interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Because I've I've never heard that before. Maybe it's more common
0: than I realized. But... Um, just the the the. Uh, well, I'm thinking here of, of of your classic, standard big fat fantasy or, or or your fantasy video game where everything is is set in. You know, you, you assume that every city is big enough to support a thieves guild. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, this this is really Dickens. Um, that the the to the extent the world in which these people live, in which it appears that everybody has flush toilets, um, is not in fact the nineteen fifties. Um, it's it you know it, it, it's a little bit of the nineteen fifties. It's a little bit of um, I, and you know I I, I I'm, I'm not knocking it. It's it, it's fun. I I enjoyed Skyrim. Um but. It, it's. I wasted way too much time on Skyrim, but anyway, go. It's on. <laughs> terrifying. because well, the awful thing is, you you have to play it through Steam, and Steam tells you how many hours you've played. I uh, you I have an Xbox, so. Oh, you see, I have, it was on a PC, you have to play it through Steam, and Steam every time you load it up tells you how many hours you've played. Yeah. And it's just it. It's the most unpleasant feature. I don't know why they do it. Um, but anyway. Um, but you know, but 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 that 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 world in which you know. Not really a, a medieval world it's not really a, a medieval worldview and, and you know people are I,
1: I, you know so it's said in the 19, so when you say that that all high fan- not all obviously, and now we have you know another realm of conscious pushback against high fantasy tropes um well, but um well, what yeah, you tolkien's say
0: it's not tolkien's not tolkien is is um the 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 mental world of his characters is, is the mental world, of but it's 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 a very foreign and very distant mental world. And if you're reading about characters who seem to be sort of recognisably quite a lot like you, um, you're not really reading about people living in anything that remotely resembles the, the 12th century or whatever it is. There.
1: So when you say 19th century, you, you mean that you know you sort of have uh, the scale of urbanization in the 19th century, you have still features of the wild, untamed uh, march, uh, and you also have characters who are hybrids, right, who have a kind of combination of the of, of being able to, to recognize the old book, the sort of old world and see it as, um, as normal, but also have increasingly modern outlooks or outlooks that would be recognizably our own, is, is that sort of what you're getting at?
0: Yeah, well, I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah.
1: But then, when you make it explicit, all sorts of cool stuff happens, right? Because then you have, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your 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 dragons are not are not steam. Your dragons are not stand-in for steam engines or gunboats or whatever. They are steam engines or gunboats or heavier-than-air machines or what have you. And your magic swords are not. Um, you know, uh, blades that are enchanted. They're they're guns that, that are retrospectively a kind of magic because of their lethality and their their ability to make an individual into a killing machine, uh, much like the sort of hero of the high fantasy of the high fantasy novels. So, you know, it it just does really interesting things to that to then take that, but now start to think really seriously in a way that these books do about what it means to really be on the cusp of modernity and, and the, the, the kinds of attitudes that produces and the kinds of, of both um, horrible things and wonderful things and things that are terrible in the classic sense because they are wonderful. So it's pretty awesome stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's fun. I, I, I like, um, you know, I, I, I think it is, a, it is a fun place to, to protect books, um, uh, and, and I, I like the, uh, that, 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 yeah, the, the sense of the future.
1: Well, as, as listeners can tell, I think these books are great. Um, they're some of the, the best books I've read in a long time, and I, I tend to say nice things about everybody I talk to, and I tend to like a lot, but I really, you know, when I agreed to do this gig, uh, interviewing you was one of the things that I wanted to do. Uh, and I'm glad it's worked out. Uh, and uh, I guess um, also, I hope it's not premature. There's going to be a book forum on Rise, of Ransom City, on Crooked Timber in the future, isn't there?
0: Um, I I, I think so. Well, that should be. Um, yeah, I I I I've heard that they're trying to to organize it, and I don't know mm-hmm. where things stand.
1: But... Yeah, I've been trying to muscle my way onto it, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um, I I I hope so. It would be really cool if it happened, but them um, you know, I, I don't know.
1: So um, after I've done singing the praises of these books and telling you, you must go out and read these now. And even if you find them a bit odd and disconcerting, that's what makes them so terrific. I do want to ask you to come back to what you mentioned at the very beginning, which is that, and I hope this didn't make talking about these books difficult for you. You have a new book that's finished. Uh, that's oh, yeah, And, and maybe uh, you could give us a taste of what that's about.
0: Um, yes, it, it, it is. Um, it, it's set in something which is more or less the real world um, it is uh, again 19th century um, it, it, it is um, it, it starts among um, 19th century occultists um, and, and uh, sitting around meditating their way through the, the, the planet um, and, and it um, it uh, straight up lifts a scene from um, a, uh, a wonderful book, uh, a, a, a history by uh, Alex Owens um, uh, called The Place of enchantment, um, which which has uh, a discussion of, of um the, the the overlap between um astronomical uh, excitement about astronomy and excitement about mars and and excitement among uh, uh, the fashionable set uh, uh over um the occult and, uh, and telepathy and etc uh and it, it starts from there and uh it it, it is uh, it, it, it is a kind of magical travel to, to Mars book. Um, which is why uh, I got a big pile of C.S. Lewis stuff on my desk and also uh, a lot stapled in and exactly, uh, etc, et Um So that uh, and I'm pleased that I think it's fun. It. Well,
1: I'm very much looking forward to it. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. This this was fun. And I hope we can do it again sometime. I hope so. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. You've come to the end of another episode of New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy. This podcast featuring Felix Gilman was recorded on 17 October 2012. Thanks for listening. So long.